Welcome to the Sanity Pod, honest human stories from the front lines of startup life. Our mission is to normalize the ups and downs of creating something from nothing and the challenges common to every leader, such that we might all feel a little less alone in the journey. In our first season, we are focusing on stories and tactical advice from leaders guiding organizations through the coronavirus crisis. Welcome. We are so glad you're here. All right, let's go on. I like how we don't see the top of your head on the Zoom. You can't see the top of my head? I, I can't see the top of your head, but it's like, maybe it's just the aspect ratio of my own screen. So. Yeah, maybe I should zoom a little bit here. Today, I'm excited to welcome my good friend, Yanda Ehrlich, to the show. Yanda is a prolific angel investor, having backed companies including Thumbtack, Masterclass, and CircleUp. He is Managing Director at KOTU, where he focuses on early-stage enterprise investing. He's also a four-time venture-backed founder, so he knows a lot about operating and about both sides of the fundraising table. Yanda is an all-around brilliant human and total mensch. I can't wait for you to meet him. Three quick requests for you, our listeners. This is a brand new podcast we are producing from our homes during the crisis. Thus, we very much need your help. First, please forgive imperfections in audio quality. We planned to record in a studio, but reality got in the way. Second, please follow and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Your positive reviews are our lifeblood. Lastly, if you have any questions or topics you'd like covered on an upcoming episode, or any feedback at all, please email us at questions at thesanitypod.com. Now, on to Yanda. Yanda, thank you so much for being here today. No, I appreciate your having me and and I appreciate your creating this. I think uh you know, knowing that you're not alone in times of crisis is a is a great access for psychological safety and so I appreciate that you're taking the initiative to to start something like this and I'm sure a lot of people will benefit from it. So thanks for having me on here. A couple of weeks ago when this entire corona thing was starting to um seem real and starting to pervade I think some of our consciousness one of my early phone calls was to you and you were a bit of a canary in the coal mine for me um, as I was I think just living life as usual and my early conversations with you were probably the biggest forcing function in, in me beginning to take this thing seriously and beginning to prepare my own family um, would you mind just walking us through your own thoughtfulness on the pandemic starting several weeks ago when when you were I think one of the earlier people really looking at this seriously that I knew yeah I mean you know what what I'll tell you is I think um the my, my concern was driven by two bits of reasoning I think one I was seeing the activity in the Hubei province and in particularly in Wuhan in China um and seeing um, the cases double and seeing the government really aggressively move into a, an aggressive containment and suppression scheme. Um, and, you know, the, the Chinese people and the Chinese government are not dumb. And so, you know, I, I felt like there was a reason why they were doing this. And I think... <clears throat> There's a human tendency to believe that stuff that happens far away can't happen to you. Um, somehow, I don't have that gene. Like I look at people 
I look at calamities that happen elsewhere and I'm like, uh oh, what if this were happening here? And I think in a globally interconnected world, the likelihood that someone was going to take this virus everywhere seemed really high. And I think the likelihood that Western democracies would be slower at the authoritarian action necessary to contain the virus also felt likely. And so it felt to me like the likelihood that the virus would, would end up in our backyard was a high probability and that we would be slower in containing it just because of the psychological makeup, both of our government and of our populace. And that's unfortunately proven out to be true. Fortunately, we're now taking action, which is great. Um, I think the other data point that I have is first as a computer scientist and a lover of math and, and second as an entrepreneur, I think I um, really understand intrinsically exponential growth. And I think this is also something that humans have a hard time um, really grasping. I think most human activities are linear. And so we look at something and we expect to continue along a like a predictable trajectory. Um, exponential growth, both in the success of startups and in the spread of, of diseases breaks that paradigm in a really aggressive way where, uh, you know, there's a story about the lily pads, right? And if you, you know, you have a lily pad that's in a, in a, in a pond and, you know, every day it doubles and on the 25th day, um, you know, it's taken over the entire pond, uh, you know, what day would it have taken over half the pond is the 24th day. Right. And, and, and really by the 20th day, it wouldn't even look like it's spreading at all. Right. And so, but, but folks who have been steeped in the day to day of exponential curves, I think that it, you, you start getting a, uh, a feeling for, for what that looks like. And so I think the, the combination of it can happen here and exponential spreads are, are, you know, gang up on you when you don't expect them. I think the combo of those things, um, you know, really struck me. And then I, you know, I, I, I say this kind of partially jokingly, but I also don't think there are a lot of, you know, um, non-skeptical descendants of European Jews. I think the folks who thought, you know, unfortunately that, you know, Nazism would like resolve itself or something like that, they, those people perished. And the, the folks who survived were the folks who planned or predicted or at least had a contingency mechanism for what the worst case scenario would look like. And, you know, historically, I think my friends, maybe yourself included, you know, will rag on me for like, you know, always having a, a, a thought about like, what is, what if this goes wrong? And I think um, this is a slight net negative in everyday life, but turns out to be uh, a, a pretty strong positive uh, in cases like this. So, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I told my wife, like, please go to Costco and, you know, buy three months of food. And, uh, I think she looked at me and, you know, thought she was going to entertain me and, you know, came back and had bought one month of food, which was as much as she could fit in her car. And I was like, no, no, you don't understand. Please go back and buy two months more food. And I think she thought at the time I was nuts, but, uh, it's just this 
you know, having a hedging for, for this kind of worst case situation, I think is always a thread that I have in the back of my mind. So, and it, it, it's a double-edged sword, you know, in some sense, it comes with its own uh, downsides, but, but in cases like this, it, it, you know, does keep you alive. So. Could you talk us a little bit through um, how you're, it sounds like you're very informed and continuing to stay very informed. What are you reading, following in order to be informed? What are you staying away from? And then I'd also love to talk a little bit about the personal and familial preparations that you've been going through before we get into some of the professional stuff. Yeah, totally. Um, so I try to read things from scientists because I feel like, you know, particularly epidemiologists or people who are on the front lines. Uh, and I also try to read things from all over the world in part because we're TiVoed in this situation. We, we have the benefit and the downside of time delay. So, so other countries are, are further ahead on the progression of this disease, China furthest ahead than South Korea and Taiwan, Italy, Europe, and then really, you know, us. Um, and so both in terms of preparedness and in terms of the progression of the infectiousness of the disease, um, it's valuable to read, um, you know, scientific articles that are coming out of those regions. So this morning, actually, I woke up and I was reading the Imperial College simulation on a bunch of suppression and uh, containment systems that have, um, you know, been tried and the, the relative effects in the containment of the, of the disease. Um, I also read some uh, Japanese articles that are coming out on the effectiveness of certain uh, viral or retroviral treatments in the uh, in the prospective cure or mitigation of the symptoms of the disease. Uh, in general, I stay away. I would say from mass market news. Uh, I I appreciate that mass market news exists because I think for a long time people weren't concerned enough about it, and so I think. Mass market news tends to over-dramatize or, or panic about situations because it sells views. Um, but I think in as much as you want to move the Overton window of people who are taking this lackadaisically, you know, them being presented with things that are the, on the opposite end of the spectrum will move them a little bit in the direction um, you know, where they, they should feel like adequately concerned. I feel like I'm adequately concerned. I don't need to be panicked. And so I've been focusing most of my news consumption in, in scientific facts that can help me either plan for how, uh, this disease will, um, you know, affect my ecosystem, uh, or what I can do to help, you know, myself or my loved ones in case we get sick. And can you talk us through where that reading is leaving you and how you're thinking about that today? Yeah. So, you know, I would say, um, you know, we are not doing enough yet. We are, we are increasingly better, but not doing enough yet to contain the disease. I think if you read, and we can share the link probably through some path, if you read the Imperial College simulation of the containment and isolation strategies, uh, effective uh, handling of the first wave of the virus is really uh uh, dependent on us uh, really seriously isolating ourselves. Um, the infectiousness of this disease is quite high when left unchecked, and the percentage of people who end up becoming critically ill um, 
if the disease can infect at an unchecked or even moderately checked rate, uh, will quickly overwhelm our healthcare system. And so I think it's incumbent on all of us to socially distance ourselves. Um, I think, um, you know, by doing that, you're really saving lives, um, not just of the elderly, but also of healthcare workers who are working around the clock to prevent and, and try to mitigate the effects of the disease. So, so please do that. Um, I think, uh, so that's the bad, that's the bad news, right? The, the, the second bad news is that there is an expectation that once these containment effects are relaxed, there may be a second wave of the disease because as a community, we haven't, uh, heard immunized, right? There's not enough people who are, who have immunity to this disease in such a way that uh, once we start going out and socializing again, once we think this thing is contained, that we would prevent a reinfection wave that could be potentially as uh, dire as the first wave. So um, so those are the two bits of, of, of bad news. The, the positive news on the flip is that uh, efforts on uh, a vaccine are progressing faster than you know every everyone uh, could foresee. I think human ingenuity uh, once again is really rising up to the occasion to, to save the species. And so I think there's an expectation that it's 12 to 18 months to a vaccine. I I suspect optimistically here we'll actually see something on the lower end of that time range, if not sooner. And we're also seeing some early results that uh, some drugs will help in mitigating the symptoms and potentially accelerating the path to recovery, which also removes the burden on the healthcare system. Obviously, the longer someone's in a hospital bed, the you know, fewer people you can put in that bed, and that, that exacerbates the issues. Um, I think what we're seeing also that gives me a lot of hope, one, is that um, even in the worst-hit countries, uh, society is not collapsing in the sense that like, you know, food is still being delivered. Medicine is still being delivered. People are being, um, you know, quite nice to each other. We're really as a, as a human species, uh, rising up and, and really being helpful and, and kind to each other, which is, I think, um, you know, great, right. I, I think if you, if you look at an event, for example, like hurricane Katrina, where, you know, 50% of the deaths or something like that, if I read correctly, were, were from gunshot wounds. Um, it's really nice to see that that is not happening here. We're, we're remaining a civil society that is really uh, in the support of each other. So, you know, the, the, the thing that I come away with here is that uh, this is not Armageddon, but it, it, it does require all of us to participate in uh, helping all of us stay healthy and safe, and as a result, reduce the burden on healthcare workers who are working to save the the folks who are critically ill. Beautiful summary. Thank you so much for that. Um, I, I'd love to turn a bit to um, to how we think about resourcing leaders that are listening to this pod. pod. Um, I know for me, uh, in the last year, as you've made the transition into investing, I've made the transition from operating to coaching. And I, I found that I went through the first six months, uh, the first couple months feeling just terrified of, of thinking, how do I ensure that I'm helpful to people? And then finding some confidence and some firm ground and finding my way into it, only to wake up a few weeks ago uh, with a pandemic at hand. And I, I have to say, just for myself, I felt this wave of 
anxiety and depression, um, one around how do I take care of my own family and loved ones through this and thinking about parents and others who are particularly in the age ranges where there's a lot of risk. And then also the second wave of, holy shit, how do I resource the leaders that I work with through this time? And um, I would guess that in, in your position, you've had your own experience of that um, anxiety and your own experience of um, that exploration toward how, how do we help people that are in leadership roles guiding uh, teams and companies and um, even different geographies through this crisis and would love to hear a bit about your journey there and, and then specific advice or guidance that you've been sharing with the leaders in, in your own world. Yeah. So, you know, what I've, what I've told folks, I've basically applied the algorithm that I'm using internally um, in, in giving advice to the founders that I've invested in and the companies that we work with, which is in order of priority, um, keep yourself healthy and safe, keep your loved ones healthy and safe, particularly pay particular attention uh, to folks in higher risk groups. So that's your parents who may be in the elderly bracket, folks with any type of um, you know, comorbidities or conditions that could make uh, the illness you know, more dangerous for them. Um, so keep them healthy and safe. And that includes you know, convincing them to socially distance and wash their hands and all of the stuff that, you know, hopefully we don't need to repeat all of the, all of the actions to, to do this. There's, there's good information out there, but, you know, first and foremost, number one and two, like, and repeat as necessary. Those are really the, the first and, and second two most important things. And they should be consuming, um, you know, the vast majority of your brain power until those protocols are in place. Um, the, the third thing I would say is that in as much as, uh, you know, you, me, um, you know, the leaders you advise, the portfolio companies I advise are fortunate to have, uh, either cash reserves or some form of continuity of income through salaries. And I, I feel very fortunate, you know, of where I work and that we are, you know, continuing to get paid. Uh, a, a vast swath of service providers uh, are paid for work product, uh, and that's you know maids, hairdressers, dog walkers, etc. And in as much as you can participate in mitigating the economic shock throughout, continue paying those people even if they can't provide services. So as you can see, my hair is getting a little bit longer than usual. I was supposed to get a haircut last week. I didn't get that haircut, but I still paid my hairdresser as if I had. Um, we have a dog, usually dog walkers come, they're not coming obviously, but we're continuing to pay them as if they did and the, and the like. And, you know, if you, if you're fortunate enough to continue receiving income, then please continue participating in society in that way. Obviously, if you're not, then, you know, retrench and, and, you know, go back to number one and two, which is keeping you and your loved ones safe. Um, and then the fourth thing, which is, you know, tied to the success of the, of the business is like, you know, think about your, lo your, your loved ones should extend to your team. So just be mindful uh, that all of your employees are having those same concerns and you should, you know, ideally kind of pass this uh, adage down the tree. Uh, and then in terms of the survival of the business itself, you know, just 
ideally put yourself in a position where you can weather a months long, uh, so not weeks, months, not years, but months uh, economic shock. And so that means, uh, you know, managing your cash, uh, managing your burn, um, just being thoughtful about, you know, where, you know, where your existing cash will take you. You can manage cash by reducing unnecessary expenses. You can manage cash um, by slowing hiring. And if necessary, if we get there, you might be able to manage cash by asking everybody to take, uh, you know, a haircut in order to, to survive uh, the prolonged economic shock. But, but I, would, I would really think about, you know, keep yourself safe, keep your loved ones safe, keep your team safe, aka, like, you know, pass this down. And then um, I think the main thing, honestly, is if we, if we can survive the, if we can stay safe and contain the disease, the economy will, will recover. Uh, and it's just about um, being calm and, and prepared. And I think the, you know, I'll, I'll say one last point. I think there's a set of people who um, expected the worst and I think are largely getting what they expected, which I think is, you know, I kind of, I'm in that camp. I, I, I kind of, this is playing out the way I kind of imagined it to play out. I think there's a bunch of people who were fairly lackadaisical about the the situation early on. I think those people are now quite scared. Uh, and and what what happens is, you know, if you if you didn't expect this to be bad, suddenly it you know the the flip uh, happens instantly as opposed to gradually. And I think you move from this is just the flu to you know. I'm, I'm really quite scared. And I think it's incumbent on every leader here uh, to also calm um, your, uh, your crew. And I think, you know, calming them is not by telling them uh, like niceties or, or falsehoods about the difficulty or lack of difficulty in this, in this, uh, you know, surviving this, this pandemic. But, but I think we are also seeing, as we mentioned earlier in the pod, um, just the, the positive side of humanity coming out. And I think pointing that out, and I think if we can all play our, our small part in here while the epidemiologists and the healthcare workers are, are really doing the heavy lift, um, we'll all come out of this uh, and, and likely stronger as a, as a species. Um, you know, bo- both, you know, this, this will kind of showcase the, the, the positive side of, of, the, of the human condition. Today's episode is brought to you by Pluto Pillows. In all of life's little ups and downs, sleep is perhaps your most important ally. Pluto provides a personalized pillow directly to your door. The only irony for me here is that I loved my Pluto pillow until my wife stole it, but now she loves it. Personalized for me, but no longer mine. Still a win for the family. Check out PlutoPillow.com. All orders receive free shipping and a 100-night guarantee. Today's episode is also brought to you by Sanity Labs. Sanity Labs provides founder and executive coaching designed by founders for founders. If you have considered hiring a CEO coach, but had a hard time finding one who really knew what it felt like to be in the founder or CEO seat, be sure to check out Sanity Labs. Sanity bridges leadership development with actual tactics for company building to ensure you are not alone in the hardest parts of your role. Visit sanitylabs.co for more details. That's sanitylabs.co. 
Now back to Yanda. On the company's survival piece, you and I both do most of our work in the Silicon Valley environment where a lot of these companies had fundraising plans for this year. And I'm curious as an experienced operator and a current venture capitalist, um, how you would suggest that companies that were thinking of raising money this year and particularly, I guess maybe we could speak both to those for whom additional capital is a requisite to survival and also those for whom it was more opportunistic and hear what advice you might be able to offer to people that find themselves in different uh, variances of that. Yeah. So, you know, what I would tell you first and foremost, it's business as usual for us. So we continue to try to find great entrepreneurs at the early stage and invest in them building their their great businesses. I think um, it is a cliche, but a true cliche that most great businesses are built in downturns. Um, And so we continue to be optimistic about the companies that we fund and these companies will really go public in a market that's, you know, seven to 10 years from now that we honestly can't predict at all. And so it, it really doesn't factor in our investment decisions. I think um, uh, on the flip side, as entrepreneurs, again, the conservative, you know, mindset in me is it, it cannot hurt to expect that your fundraise will take longer you will raise less money at higher dilution. Um, And I think in that light, uh, you know, the most important part of a startup is survival. And so try just to think about your, you know, when faced with with a set of options, just remember that, you know, a couple extra percentage points of dilution is probably not what you wanted and probably not what you would have gotten a couple of weeks ago. But uh, owning a slightly lesser slice of a pie is still better than owning a larger slice of no pie. Um, I don't think uh, you know VCs are going to be uh, you know avaricious here, but I just think it's you know good to just keep that in the back of your mind that that may be a situation that you have to to cross. Then I would revert really primarily to how you can extend your runway through cost mitigation strategies because chances are also you have more capital in the bank that could last you longer if you enacted those strategies today and not tomorrow. Um, I think in general, um, you know, the uh, my reaction to the virus, which is uh, the sooner you enact a conservative or defensive posture, the better. Don't wait until this is, you know, turn into a crisis to enact that conservative posture you very well may be able to raise that series A or series B, but you know, still enact cost-cutting measures now and then relax them once you've raised instead of assuming you're going to be able to raise and then you know what happens if you if you can't. So. I spent time on a coaching call this morning with a founder whose company is going through one of the well-known Silicon Valley-based accelerators. She shared with me a letter that was going around the uh, the portfolio there, uh, suggesting that given the loss of the public markets, um, venture capitalists were going to have trouble with capital calls and be way more reticent on investments, suggested uh, for the most part halting any capital raising investments entirely for the next few months. Uh, How does that advice 
um, stack up with advice that you would give people in those positions? Um, it, it doesn't really jive with the advice that I would give. I think I would continue to try to raise. I think there are funds out there that are, you know, especially at the early stages, still trying to invest and trying to continue businesses as usual. Um, I would, you know, have a contingency plan in place for uh, what happens if you can't raise. Uh, but frankly, you know, we're probably talking to, you know, many port, you know, companies of, of said accelerator and, and we are, you know, actively making investments. And I would suspect that many other funds are as well. So, um, you know, I, I, I guess there's not enough data yet to know if, if investment activity at the early stages will be significantly curtailed. I think it is always wise in these types of environments to assume that it will be, but also carry on uh, planning in the case that it's not. Got it. Any advice uh, on fundraising in a time like this? I mean, it's hard even to imagine running a financing round where you can't meet face to face um, or can't have a prospective investor come and visit the company. Um, is there anything else that's unique to raising right now as you experience it from your side of the table that would be helpful for founders out there to know about? You know, we, we have conducted a couple of like full diligence processes now uh, entirely on Zoom. Um, we'll see how they pan out. Uh, but, uh, you know, I would say um, it has not been as weird as I think people thought it might be. Um, I think, you know, the the major bullet points of diligence, meeting the team, calling customers, looking at data, all of that stuff can be done remotely. You know, giving a pitch, I would say, is probably... 10% worse over Zoom, but the truth is, is if everyone else is giving their pitch over Zoom, you're, you know, you've re-baselined to everyone's 10% worse. So just, you know, get, have a crisp story and good metrics and, you know, a thoughtful vision about where you're going to take your business and, and try it that way. Um, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's kind of an unprecedented event, so it's really hard to pattern match to, to other stuff. But I would say, um, you know, part of my mindset is to be prepared for what happens in a worst case scenario. And then the other part of my mindset is assuming that this is the new normal. Like, suppose this took, you know, we were in this posture for longer than anybody thinks which is a possibility you know we're, we're not going to freeze you know the economy and everything for for you know like stuff is just going to start working in some new framework and so be a visionary in how you can run your business in that new framework and you will you know thrive in it so i think I, I certainly wouldn't take the fact that you can't meet in person as a reason to suspend your fundraise, like be the first company that can execute a fundraise over Zoom. And that's a really useful skill to have, uh, you know, now and when we've contained the virus, uh, you know, say if you want to pitch investors, you know, in, a, in another part of the globe and you no longer have to hop on flights or something like that to, to meet them. So, I'd love to turn a little bit and... Um... Talk about managing our own psychology through this, um, and in particular through the lens of people that are in leadership roles and thinking about how to manage their own minds, 
how to uh, carry the burden of taking care of a team and the the families and loved ones that are a part of that. Um, I've always admired your own your thoughtfulness about how you manage your own psychology and you've been an inspiration to me over the years in your exploration of that. So would love to hear how you're managing your own mind through this time and uh, what advice or guidance you're giving to leaders that you're spending time with. Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing uh, is just to be grateful for the things you have. Uh, so, you know, very thankful electricity is still working, very thankful that we have internet and we can, you know, FaceTime with friends and family. Uh, very grateful that food delivery and clean water and all of these other things are still, you know, being delivered to us. I think this has not been a complete societal collapse. And I think that is a, a very, um, you know, uplifting thing to keep in the back of your mind, right? So I think that's the first thing. I think that I think the second thing is just to be, um, you know, to do things that uh, are good for your mental and physical well-being. So work out, you know, in some capacity, uh, go out in nature, get some sun, get some fresh air. I think social isolation or is, is really probably a, a, the wrong term. I think it's, it's physical isolation, but social closeness that you want. So FaceTime with friends, FaceTime with family, uh, you know, spend time virtually with the loved ones that you can't be physically proximate to, and then and then you know spend time uh, paying attention and being attentive to the people who are in your household who you're physically proximate to. So you know, try to unglue yourself from your phone, reading COVID updates, and spend time with your spouse or significant other or kid or pet or something like that. I think all of those things are really powerful. Um, I think if you have uh, uh, like a mental, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a mental kind of stability practice, whether that be talking to a therapist or talking to a coach or meditating or whatever, please, you know, continue doing that. Uh, I think if you don't have one, it might be a good time to start. I suspect there are lots of coaches and therapists and meditation teachers and meditation apps that are looking for folks and frankly uh you know doing that stuff on a regular basis is helpful uh whether you're in a crisis or not so it is also a good time to build habits that will you know to build up momentum on on, on good habits that will uh you know benefit you in the long run um i think you know uh we we are physically separate, but don't have to be lonely or alone. I think, uh, you know, I'm fortunate enough to be married, living with my spouse and our, and our dog. I think there's a lot of people who are weathering this by themselves in their apartment. Um, FaceTime with friends, FaceTime with family, play cards, play poker, play Catan, you know, have happy hours that are uh, you know, mediated over Zoom or or FaceTime or WhatsApp or whatever. Uh, you know, give yourself a, a, an opportunity to uh, bring yourself, um, you know, mentally and emotionally close to others, even though you can't be physically close. I think that is super super important for for mental well being. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's it. I think also like you know, eat healthy and as much as you can, exercise. I think I think all of the the advice that I would give to to people if this weren't happening, I think still apply. Um, and and uh, just also know that we are witnessing, you know, not just you know a, a once in a century calamity, but also a once in a century. Uh, exhibition of social and, and human cohesion in fighting that calamity, and and the latter, you know, while the while the former is anxiety inducing, uh, the latter is really, um, you know, breathtaking and and amazing to watch. And so, um, please play your part in doing that. Don't be a freeloader. Don't go out to bars. Don't have picnics in crowded, you know, parks and, and craziness like that, you know, like consider uh, participating in the social and physical distancing here as a way to really uh, help the rest of humanity. I, I found myself very inspired. Yesterday, I walked in and I found uh, Marco, my seven-year-old son, who you know well, uh, FaceTiming with his friend Tulia, and they had decided to play chess and they both had chess boards out. And they were they were moving the pieces very carefully, peering through the FaceTime to make sure that no one was cheating and they were getting moved accurately. And L- love it, yeah. Adults should be doing the same. I think I think that's uh, that's awesome. If you have, we've been um, so my uh, my younger brother uh, recently had a second child. Uh, we are, uh, and then Mercy's youngest sister has you know has a a, a kid who's you know, a, a few months, or I guess maybe a couple months old and uh, looking at cute baby photos is also a very uh, lovely thing to do on a regular basis. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, listen, it, this is, it's tough. Um, uh, it will last longer than than I think uh, we all imagine, but we're, we're getting through it. And I think that really matters. And, and we are you know, really fortunate to live in a modern era where, I mean, if you think about this, the last time this happened um, was in 1918 with the, the Spanish flu. There was no vaccine to, to think of, right? The only system was these kind of, you know, non-pharmaceutical interventions like social isolation, et cetera. Humanity survived that calamity too, though, you know, it was quite dire. I think the the ingenuity of science and and the uh, power of the of, of humanity to kind of collectively rise up i think is is quite powerful on that note any advice that you would give to our political leaders uh i mean i you know i think taking this seriously yesterday i think is is the the main bit of advice uh and then in as much as uh, we can redirect uh, funding in three areas. I think one to lessen the economic shock for people who are affected by the downturn, and that's in particular folks who you know are living paycheck to paycheck or are paid for work product or something like that. I think that's the that that's number one. Uh, and then two, if we can direct uh, capital to accelerate. Uh, vaccine production today and continue that investment to prepare for future pandemics after um, that, you know, the, the thing that, that saddens me a little bit is we were working on a coronavirus vaccine uh, during the SARS-CoV-1 pandemic. Um, 
And most of that funding dried up once we had contained SARS, uh, which put us in a posture where we were underprepared for this new pandemic. I think Bill Gates said it best, this is kind of the most predictable calamity that can befall civilization. And so I'm just hopeful that we not only fund uh, quashing it now, but continue to fund being prepared for it later. Um, and then the third thing I would say is um, a lot of the dire predictions around mortality rates are tied to um, the paucity of ICU beds, ICU equipment, and in particular, mechanical ventilators that are used to uh, artificially sustain the breathing of the most affected uh, members of the population. In World War II, we were building a plane a day. You know, there is really nothing stopping the industrial capacity of the world to produce, you know, an unimaginable number of, of ventilators and respirators and ICU equipment. And in as much as our leaders can encourage uh, some capital to be deployed in that service as well. It helps us really mitigate the worst case scenarios from the, the healthcare load system. We also need time for those things to be produced, but, but you know, energy spent there, I think is also quite powerful. Well, thank you, brother. I know you've got a board meeting to get to. I appreciate you making time on short notice to help get some of these thoughts out there and provide some support to the many leaders that are facing this um, with a lot of challenges present. So thank you so much. It's my great pleasure. And, and thanks again for, for putting this stuff out there. I think, you know, again, uh, you're not alone. We'll all get through this, I think is a message that is important for all of us to hear. And I, I appreciate the, the part you're, you're taking in, in making this content available and uh, making folks feel like, you know, we're all one big family going, going through this stuff. So. That's today's episode. Reminder to please follow and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Your positive reviews really are our lifeblood. Lastly, if you have any questions or topics you'd like covered in an upcoming episode or any feedback at all, please email us at questions at the sanitypod.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. We're so glad you did.